Well, we serve a big God, and even when there's no drummer, God is a waymaker, and you're only limited by your experience of God by how much you want to press in, and uh, we really do serve a wonderful God. Thank you, uh, worship team, for leading us so well. I would love to invite up Dan Cody, our speaker today. Uh, there's a little blurb on the back if you want to find out a little bit more about Dan Cody, but what you might not know is that Dan was... Uh, Pastor Darren's supervisor for two years. Probably the roughest experience this man's ever had to go through. <laughs> and so uh, we're delighted to have Dan here with us, and uh, we're looking forward to your message. Thanks, Dan. Thank you so much. Good morning, Ocean View. Now, I know <clears throat> as I come up here again, I've only been here one other time, and that was in the summer, and many of you were here. And you're looking at me again for the second time, and I know what you're saying. You're saying, first of all, you're saying, Dan looks great in that clearance rack suit from Value Village that he's got on this morning. <laughs> and you're wrong, it's a rental. <laughs> and secondly, you're saying to yourself, I'm sure, I think we can all agree, I think he's been working out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't... I don't mean to blow my own horn or anything, but you're, you're right. <laughs> and lately, what's been happening to me in the gym, it's quite often, actually, people are coming up to me in the gym and they're going, Dan, can you post some pictures on Instagram? <laughs> so we can emulate the look that you're manifesting. And... Uh, I've been happy to do that. You can find some photos of my workout routine on Instagram. That's not actually true. <laughs> However, if you do go on Instagram, you can find a lot of photos of people working out, looking the best that they possibly can look, as fit as they possibly can be, as strong as they <clears throat> possibly can be. This morning, the passage we have for us in Ephesians is about a church that is as healthy as it can be, as strong as it can be, as mature as it can be, even to the extent that Paul says in this line, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What, what a line. I, I mean, since Pastor Darren called me and said, would you do Ephesians 4 coming up in February? And I said, or March. I guess March today. What happened? We even had an extra day of February, and it still ran out. I've been looking at this passage, and this line has caught my attention, and I have done some study on it, and I, I can't get my brain around it. Paul says he wants Ocean View Church to be strong, healthy, mature, strengthened for the work that it has before it, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So why don't you stand with me and let's pray, if this is what we believe that God wants for your church, then let's pray that he will use this passage and our cooperation. He will enable us by his Spirit 
in order to do the work that he has for this church and this community in, this, in the future months and years ahead um, to the extent that he talks about here. Our Father, we have enjoyed standing in your presence and singing worship songs this morning, proclaiming the name and the work of Jesus Christ. We are fascinated by what the Apostle Paul the life that he lived as well, and the things that he wrote for our encouragement as a church. What he wrote to us in this passage is very practical, but it takes our cooperation. It takes each one of us, every single one of us here, to cooperate, otherwise this phrase cannot come true. And so... Our prayer is, Lord, that you will teach us this morning, but you will also allow us in our hearts to be unified with others, to stand shoulder to shoulder with others in this community. We believe that this church has many exciting challenges ahead, and we want to pray that you will strengthen this church to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. In the first few verses of this chapter, we're going to just take them one one at a time in five different sections. We're going to go from verse 1 to verse 16. And in the first few verses, what you can see is that that screen is a long way away. And my old eyes cannot read it. So if you don't mind, I'm going to have to turn and read it from here. Would you read these first three verses along with me? Let's read them robustly together. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Thank you. Paul says in verses 1 to 3, express your calling. It's right in the middle there. In a manner, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Express your calling. Let people around you see the calling that you have received. Now, Paul is in prison. He says it right here. I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. Paul is expressing his calling in prison. That's not what God's called you to do. At least you're here this morning. Maybe you've been in prison recently. Come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to hear your story. (laughs) Paul is in prison for the Lord. And Paul is expressing his calling. And he's got a difficult calling. But we're here. It's a beautiful, sunny morning in one of the most beautiful places in Canada. Visiting together, enjoying the coffee and the fellowship. But Paul says, I urge you as well to express your calling. And how do we do that? Well, Paul says, 
in prison, I'm all by myself. But you are together, and so when you're together, you're going to have to practice supernatural relationship dynamics. In other words, the way you treat each other, the way you interact with each other is not just normal. It's not the same as everybody treats each other. Perhaps you're a part of a club or a team or some sort of group of people. In some cases, those groups get along better than the people in the church do. It should not be that way. Paul says, these are the characteristics that people around should see when they see that we are the called ones. They should see that we are humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's talking about us as individuals. He's talking about us as married couples in some cases, families, and certainly he's talking to us as a church. And he says these are the characteristics that must be sought after. It's not enough just to excuse the lack of them when they're hard to dig when it's hard to dig down and be humble, when it's hard to dig down and be gentle with one another, but Paul says that's the way that we express our calling. Before we move on to the next slide, just look and sort of observe the long-termness, the the long approach that he's describing here. He says, be humble and gentle, but with patience. Bearing with one another in love when there are problems, when there are difficulties. Some bearing together through those times. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul has his challenge, and that is, as he's in prison, he is to express his call. But he says, for you that, are, that he is writing to, it's very important for us. If we want to become the mature and strong and healthy church that he is challenging us to be, that it start with our individual ability to interact with each other in this kind of selfless and team approach. So let's move on to the next uh, challenge, which is that the second thing that we are to express is the hope that we have by oneness. Let me just read this one for you in verses 4 to 7. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, I work at Fellowship Pacific uh, in Fort Langley. I mentioned that before, and we're part of a small team of about 10 people, some part-time, some full-time, and uh, we just have a, a great experience there. But occasionally we're called to preach at various churches, and so my 
friend and colleague Todd Chapman, I think he's been here before, is preaching this very morning at Oak Ridge Baptist Church, which is a place that I preached at recently. And Oak Ridge Baptist Church is a fellowship Baptist church in the south part of Vancouver. It consists of one congregation with three different services. It's got an English-speaking service, it's got a Cantonese-speaking service, and it's got a Mandarin-speaking service. Once a month they come together and they're all together, and that's what's happening this morning. As Todd preaches, he's preaching in English. His sermon is being simultaneously translated into Cantonese for the Cantonese people and into Mandarin for the Mandarin people. He says, basically, it's a five-minute sermon. By the time the whole thing gets translated, <laughs> it takes over half an hour. There's various reasons why that church exists in that manifestation with three different services, one congregation, multiple languages. But that's who they are, and that's what they're doing in their community to reach their neighbors. It's not... Uh, it's not easy. It's, it's plain and simple. And you know, I think your church is always in English. And you look just at a glance that English is your first language for almost all of you would be my guess. And yet Paul says every church has its unique characteristics, many differences within it. Where we come from, where we've been in life, how we approach things, we can be pulled apart by our differences or we can be brought together and unified by the hope that we have. We stood and we sang those very strong words, our God is a lion, lion of Judah. Our God is a lamb, the lamb that was slain. And I marveled as I listened to your congregation sing robustly but it's difficult working it out sometimes when it's not Sunday morning and we're standing together because there's a lot of things that can take us in different directions and pull us different ways and Paul says don't let that happen be unified by the hope that you have that which you sing about on Sunday morning that simple gospel message that Jesus Christ and what he, who he is and what he's done for us is what unites us. When we come and we practice communion together and we say again that we are unified by this, that we have this in common, that we were lost without hope in this world until Christ gave his life for us. That is what unifies us and that is what we must Express And Paul wants us to make sure that we understand in verse 7, that grace that he, that he is talking about has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I don't know exactly what that means, but it means that Christ knows what each one of us needs individually and has provided it. He's given us the grace that we need to do this so that my individual participation in the body, I have what I need because Christ has given it to me. 
And there's no way that any one of us can separate ourselves from the body and say, I'm missing something, I'm lacking something. I can't stand together. So that's what he is telling us to do. Express our hope by our oneness. How do people know what our hope is? Paul said in John, they will know. They will know you are my disciples when you have love one for another. Just a simple reminder. Let's move on to the third section again. Let me read this one for you, verses 8 to 12. For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints. He gave gifts to men. I was talking to Grant, uh, who just got back from a short-term missions trip just before the service, and in 1995, which is 25 years ago, I led a short-term missions trip to Mexico. First of all, put up your hand if you refuse to believe that 1995 could be 25 years ago. How would, like, what is going on? I was a youth pastor in 1995, and I took a team of teenagers down to Mexico. And uh, this is the first time I'd gone on a missions trip without my wife. Bad mistake. But I did my best. We, uh, like in many short-term, and how many of you have been on a short-term missions trip of some kind, whether it was cross-culture or not? Many of you. So you... You kind of know what, what I'm about to talk about. And that is, we had uh, work assignments that we were to do in the daytime, and then we had ministry outreach that we were to do in the evenings. And that's the way our trip was planned. So when we got there, we asked our, uh, the people that were hosting us, what is our work assignment? And they said, well, <clears throat> we need an entirely new septic system. So... <laughs> If you and your team of 10 could just dig a six-foot-wide by six-foot-deep, 200-foot-long trench, (laughs) we'd be most grateful to you all. Here's your shovels. (laughs) And uh, it was almost 100 degrees. So I said to my my friend Pete, who was a, a leader on the trip, and, of course, it was Mexico, so we called him Pedro for that week. I said, Pedro, what are we going to do? How are we going to get this 200 feet of sewer line dug before the end of the week? He says, let me do my best. So on day one, he basically passed out shovels to all of us, and we started digging. And I'm pretty sure at the end of day one, we had dug about maybe 15 feet Six feet wide, six feet deep, 15 feet long of the 200 feet. I said at the end of day one, I said, Pedro, what are we going to do? Is there a different plan? Is there anything else we can do? He said, yes, I have a plan. He said, I'm going to take our strongest two teenage boys, and I'm going to let them put their shovels down for the the next day or two, and I'm going to let them uh, go into the shed and see if they can get the backhoe running. I said, I said, Pedro, they're 16 years old. They don't know anything about a backhoe. Even if they got it running, they wouldn't know how to operate it. What are you talking about? He said, just let me, let me assign the tasks. 
I said, okay, I'll let you, but I knew that he, he had no idea what he was doing. So while we dug on day two, out in the heat, eight of us, two of our strongest team members spent the entire day in a shed, in the shade, Tinkering. I thought literally they were just taking a wrench and banging it on the thing so we would sound like they were doing something. They did that for two days, and of course we dug maybe 10 feet each day. So at the end of day three, we had maybe 30 feet done of our 200 feet. And I was getting steamier and steamier as I thought, why are we letting two of our most strongest uh, team members do this? Unbelievably, in the short term and the long term, this is what happened in the short term. Not only did they get that thing running, which hadn't run in two years without spending any money on parts or repairs, they came out and on day four, they had, with this backhoe, dug the entire 200 feet of trench. And I had to apologize to Pedro and say, you were the one who knew what to do with the roles on this team and what in the long term would allow us somehow to get this job finished. And in the long term, one of those two boys went on to become a missionary to Latin America and did that for decades. And I thought, isn't God amazing? When he looks at the body and he decides... Who will be apostles? Who will be prophets? Who will be evangelists, shepherds, and teachers? And he equips us, and he gives us different roles. And we have skepticism about why is this person doing this? Or why am I doing what he's asked me to do? And I've got my shovel in my hand, and I'm part of a team, but we're only digging a little bit as we go. And somehow if we trust him, and somehow if we're not trying to assign the roles ourselves, but willing to do what God asks us to do in the body, he, in many cases, is going to do something far beyond what we ever can ask or imagine. I learned a lot on that trip. And Paul says, exercise your equipping. I'm so glad that all of us are not doing the same thing and that our skills and our abilities and the challenges we have are not identical. But he is the one who allows us to work together as a body. Let's move on to our fourth passage. In verses 13 and 14, Paul answers the question, until what? Until how long? How long does this go on for? He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes." Paul says, we carry on doing this. We are never satisfied with what we've come, we've become so far along the way as we develop as a church. 
There's never an opportunity for us to say, this is good, we've, we've basically gotten to where we want to. Paul says this phrase, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we might realize that there's always, there's always more that we can do to impact the community that he's placed us in. And I know this church, I know this church is very interested in reaching its community, in reaching out to children and youth, in, and people of all kinds around here. And I know, and I talked about how you've sent so many people to Camp Kwanos and to other uh, opportunities like that. And yet, we just look at the Paul, we look at Paul in prison and we realize that there's never an end. There's never an end to what God can do in us and through us if we continue to strive to work together. So notice the words at the beginning of this phrase, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's the phrase I don't want us to to miss here because Paul says we strive together for unity. But a key part of that is that we continue to open his word. Not just on Sundays in church, we come and hear Pastor Darren talk about Ephesians. No, absolutely not. Paul says the onus is on us as individuals, each one of us, to be striving after the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of the Son of God. If you left here this morning with a renewed interest in striving after the knowledge of the Son of God as an individual or as a family, and and said, I cannot just depend on what happens on a Sunday morning, I've got to be able, I've got to be able to find it for myself. I've got to be able to strive after it for myself with a renewed determination. You know the answers the children gave to what you can do at night. Do you remember what the answers were? Video games, movies, and YouTube. That's not the, you know, 20 years ago if we had the kids up at the front here, those were not the answers that the kids would have given. But, you know, it's like... You can find all your spirituality through movies, YouTube, and maybe even video games, I'm not sure. But uh, there's infinite resources out there. So yes, use those resources, but yes, also open up the Word of God for yourself. Do it in the old-fashioned way, the non-electric. Open up the Word of God and strive after the Son of God. And many of the relationship dynamics begin to happen almost automatically when we do that. Lastly, our fifth section. Paul says, in every way and each part, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, I wasn't very honest with you at the beginning. I haven't been working out. I'm what you call a fair weather exerciser. I get most of my exercise on my bicycle, and my bicycle does not see the light of day between October 1st and about mid-April. 
for the one simple reason that it's below, below 20 degrees and sometimes cloudy and raining. And so my fitness routine ramps up really strong in the summertime and just basically crashes in the wintertime. But Paul is talking about us being committed and participating individually and taking our individual roles seriously so that when each one of us is doing that, when every part is doing that, what will happen almost naturally is that it will make the body grow and it will be built up in love. What a great promise. We've seen this. We've experienced this. We've seen this come and go. We've seen this happen for a short time. But Paul says, let's not settle for anything else other than moving forward in that direction together. My, uh, my sports viewing habits have changed since uh, I grew up in British Columbia. When I was a kid and a teenager and maybe even a young adult, I used to enjoy watching the Vancouver Canucks and the BC Lions, and then when the Whitecaps came along, I enjoyed that too. But now that I'm getting old, I find there's other sports that I'm more interested in, and there's two strange sports. They're not strange, but not everybody follows them, that I am now more and more interested in, and that's curling and tennis. The problem with curling is obvious. It's curling. It's like, I don't want to offend anybody, but to watch curling on TV, you, almost, you have to watch the entire match to catch the nuances of what's happening between the two teams and the strategies that are coming into play. And rarely do I have an opportunity to watch an entire curling match. Tennis, on the other hand, I have been enjoying more and more in watching tennis. And I appreciate there as well many of the nuances of the game. And one of the things tennis is there's a lot of protocols. And one of the protocols is the way that you shake hands. So first of all, I've noticed that there's three ways that a tennis player will shake hands, or three opportunities. The first one is when you're playing doubles. You're playing doubles and you're on the same side of the net with a partner, and when you make a good play, when your team wins the point, often they'll shake hands or give each other a high five, a pat on the back, a physical sign of encouragement and teamwork. Well, that makes a great deal of sense. And the fact is, you know, if you're on a team and you're on the same side of the net and you can't shake hands with your teammate, then something's probably pretty wrong. But there's a second handshake that's also an important part of the tennis game. And that is when one person or one team has defeated the other. You know that it's very important that both parties approach the net and reach over the net and shake hands with each other. Now occasionally, a person gets beaten so bad in a game that is so close that they cannot muster the, the courage or the grace to walk up the net and admit they've been defeated by the other person. The trouble is that everybody in the stands realizes that that person is not really the sport 
the, it doesn't have the sportsmanship that's a very important part of this game. And so it's important to be able to say, I'm defeated. I'm reaching my hand out over the net and shaking hands. You know, in a, in a church, there will be times when people will take a different position on things. People will see things differently than we do. And yet, as the decision is made, as the church moves forward, it's important to be able to say, in the name of the game and in the interest of the process, here's my hand, let's move forward. There's a third handshake that's also very important in tennis, and that is that after the two opponents have shaken hands, the defeated person first comes up to the umpire's chair and extends their hand first and shakes the umpire's hand. And then the victor does the same thing. It's always done in that order. Why it became that way, I'm not entirely sure. But you know the hardest handshake? The hardest handshake sometimes is when we have to reach up to God and say, this wasn't the outcome that I thought, that I wanted, that I expected, but I trust that you are the umpire and you know what's best. And I therefore extend my hand to you and acknowledge that what you're doing is above and beyond me. And that's an important handshake. It's much easier when you're the victor to shake the hand. There may have been in that tennis match a number of appeals. There may have been a number of close calls. But ultimately, what's more important is that, that we shake hands with the umpire and submit to their leadership than to say, I know better as an individual. So Ocean View, as you move forward as a church, what we see in this passage is pretty straightforward, really. It's not that complicated. Paul says each and every one of us has an important part to play. When we do so, when we submit to each other gently, humbly, patience, love, bearing with one another, when we plug in and play our part and willingly do what God is asking us to do, when we work through difficult decisions, when we work through tensions and struggles, and continue to say the unity of the body is more important, Paul suggests that the body will build itself up in love. And of course, God is doing that in that process, but that's how it, it takes place. So let's just uh, ask him again. Let's unite our hearts in prayer, and let's just ask him to make uh, the church strong and uh, never to be um, defeated. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this passage and this, this word to us this, this morning. Paul wrote this to the Ephesian believers from prison, but we feel like it's very relevant to us today, and we thank you. Thank you for this church, its history, what you're doing in it right now, who is a part of it. And Lord, we pray they'll be unified, strong, mature, that they will 
seek after you as a church and as individuals after the knowledge of the Son of God who makes all the difference, who is the basis of our hope. Father, we're excited about the future. We want to we want just to allow your spirit to do what he has in mind in this congregation, and we will join him in that. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.